Suffering makes us uncomfortable. And I'm not just talking about being the one who is suffering, but if we happen to step into a situation where there is suffering, it's uncomfortable. And we, we try to rationalize suffering, we try to ignore it, we try to move as, as quickly beyond it as, as we can. An illustration. In a breakup between a, a boyfriend and a girlfriend, uh, there is inevitably going to be suffering. Uh, inevitably by one of the two. And, and so the one who is initiating the breakup tries to minimize that and says, it's not you, it's me. Or, or uh, it's just not working. And of course, well, we can still be friends, trying to, trying to minimize that. And of course, what they, what they mean by all of that is, I'm trying to dump you. Stop making this more difficult than it has to be. I want to I move quickly beyond this. But we do this with even more serious things too. When someone's having a bad day, and we don't really want to talk about it, we say things like, oh, that's too bad. I'm, I'm sure it'll be better later. Or when something worse happens, when, when someone uh, gets cancer, or uh, another disease, or a relative dies, we say things like, well, I guess it, it just wasn't God's plan. Or, it, or we say the reverse. And we say, well, I, I guess that was God's plan. It was God's will. It's God's will. And what do we mean when we say these things? And I know sometimes we, we say them simply to, to try to get out of uncomfortable situations. But why? I, I think sometimes... We feel like we need to justify God. We need to justify the situation for God because we feel like God doesn't really know what he's doing. If someone has a terrible tragedy strike, a, a child dies, a parent is hurt in a car accident, a, a virus like the coronavirus spreads and, and kills hundreds of people, uh, we can think that we need to justify God. And, and in our minds we can think, well, what is God thinking? Why could God do this? Why would God do this? And so we try to clean up God's image. When really, it's God who needs to clean up our image. And it's God who needs to justify us. When we say it's God's will, are we saying that God actually is intending evil? Or when we say it isn't God's will, are we saying that what actually happens uh, is that something that is out of God's control or, or God doesn't really care, that God doesn't know what he's doing. The ironic thing is that when something happens uh, that we love and makes us happy, we are more than willing to say, that's God's will. When maybe it's not actually God's will at all. This is actually what the Thessalonians were doing in our epistle lesson. This is a congregation that, that Paul, St. Paul, had established. And, and for the most part, they had listened to Paul's instructions about how they should live as Christians, what God's will for them was as Christians. But there was one area of their lives where they, they didn't listen to God's will. But they listened to their own wills, their own desires. <clears throat> it was in the area of relationships. The Thessalonians were prone to sexual immorality. Some were having intimate relationships with others before they were married. And others were having intimate relationships with, with somebody else's uh, spouse 
They were taking advantage of their brother. And both of those are adultery. If you were to, to pick, take a poll of, of the sins listed in Scripture, and, and which one God has to condemn over and over and over, sexual immorality would be at the top of the list. It would overshadow every other sin by far. Sexual immorality, or God's gift of sex, is, it, it's tied so intimately to our will, to our passion. And just think of the ways that, that our society teaches sexuality. However, what, whatever you desire, whether that be to, to marry someone of the same sex, or to desire that your sex be different, or to have sex as, uh, before, that you're, before you're married as a way to, to test out the relationship, uh, we want nothing more than to satisfy our pleasure, our will. And so God has to tell us over and over and over that not only is this not his will, but that in continuing to follow our will like this, without repentance means that we will go to hell. And sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that my pleasure is God's will. And so this affects our outlook on, on our lives when, when bad things happen. If it doesn't make me happy, then it must not be God's will. But Paul says that God's will is something else. He says, indeed, this is God's will, that you be sanctified. To be sanctified means to be made holy. Adultery, by definition, is mixing something that doesn't belong. It's making it adulterated. Sanctification is the exact opposite. It's setting something aside, something, setting something apart, making it pure. And sanctification comes, apart, uh, comes about through the work of God, who is described like a refiner's fire. Meaning that to be made pure is the opposite of pleasure for us. Because it can hurt. Because our will can be opposed to God's. God did not call us for uncleanness, but in sanctification. God's desire is to increase our faith. To increase your faith. God's will is not... To make you happy. Sometimes God's will may actually be to allow you to suffer. In fact, most often it's the devil who wants to make you happy. The devil wants to make you focus on things in this life that fulfill uh, your, the pleasure of your flesh. God wants you to focus on the inability of things in this life. Not only evil things like sexual immorality, but even good things. The inability for them to satisfy your greatest need. This is the reason we see Jesus treating the Canaanite woman in our gospel lesson in what would seem to be a, a harsh way. But Jesus, in his omniscience and his all-knowing power, knows exactly what is best for her. So Jesus pushes her to increase her faith. He doesn't listen to her first of all. He calls her a dog. And he says he wasn't meant for her. 
If you've ever had a, a glass of scotch or whiskey, you know that it has to be distilled first uh, in order for it to, to be scotch or whiskey. That's, and then the way that that works is that liquid is heated up and boiled uh, into a vapor, and then when it's ready, it's cooled to be condensed back into a refined liquid. What Jesus is doing with the Canaanite woman is that he is distilling her faith. But the way that looked initially was that Jesus was ignoring her and even treating her harshly. And that's how it often looks in our lives, too. We want to interpret everything around us, and we usually, usually that means that we interpret according to, to what we think should happen. Or how our experience tells us things should be. And so we can look around and we can say, that, uh, say things like, it's God's will, or, or it isn't God's will, and we can try to excuse God, uh, and we can attribute all suffering uh, to the devil and conclude that well, God's not really in control. This is how often we, we read cancer and financial hardship, family issues, and whatever trials that we go through in our lives. But the devil is not in control. The devil does not get to make the choices. God is still in control. And this means that when you suffer, when you struggle, when you struggle to, to forsake a, a certain sin, when you face cancer, when your child gets sick, when you face family issues, when you face depression, it means God is still in control. It doesn't mean those things are good. Suffering is not good. Cancer is not good. Sickness is not good. Family issues are not good. But rather that God can use even what is not good, even what is evil, to accomplish his good and gracious will. All suffering is a way for us to repent and to throw ourselves at the mercy of God. To suffer in this life is it's what it's like to be touched by a holy God as Jacob was in our Old Testament. A holy God who is still a mystery to us, whose will is not our will, whose ways are beyond our ways, and whose thoughts are above our thoughts. God allows us to suffer in his mercy. For things not revealed in Scripture, we, we can't say what God's will is or is not. We can't say that the coronavirus, for instance, is or is not God's will. But we can say that God deals with us according to his mercy in order to fulfill his promise to us, as he taught us in the Lord's Prayer, to lead us not into temptation and to deliver us from evil. God wants us to live by faith not by sight, not by pleasure, not by happiness, not by what we feel is right, but by faith. Like the Canaanite woman, we come to God and we can plead with God to help us and to have mercy on us, all the while, uh, while we wait for God, wait for God to deliver us according to his time and his mercy. And we can insist on this. And we can even expect it because God has promised it. God will not lead you into temptation. God will deliver you from evil. In fact, God could make it 
so that that one sin that you struggle with, you never struggle with again. God could make it so that 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 your suffering, that your that your sickness that you're suffering with is gone tomorrow. God could relieve your suffering tomorrow. He could heal the cancer that you have next week. He could heal your child in a few minutes, like he did with the Canaanite woman. But it also could be that God will allow us to suffer with these things until he grants us the ultimate and final deliverance of heaven. And that's what we pray for in the Lord's Prayer. We pray that God would grant us a blessed end and graciously take us out of this valley of tears to himself in heaven. God's will is our sanctification. And because that is God's will, it means we can pray for it and be certain God will answer. We can pray as we did in our psalm. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and loving kindnesses, for they have been from of old. Let not my enemies triumph over me, my enemies, whatever they may be. Redeem me, O God, out of all my troubles. And God will, because that is God's will. Your sanctification, your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore.